0: Right, mystery, one new man, it's a biblical term, it's in Ephesians 2, we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, What I want you to see, we're going to look at uh, 2.11 through 3.7, that this one new man concept is written in the context of extreme racial division. You think we have racism in America, you should have seen Jerusalem at about, you know, this would be... I don't know, maybe 60 AD, uh, serious, extreme racial division going on, and so this may apply to our circumstances today. Um, For example, and it goes both ways here, as racism usually does, uh, for example, uh, the Jews in this time had been, at the time of, of Paul, writing this letter to the Ephesians, probably within 10 years of this, the Jews had been expelled from Rome. All Jews, uh, Emperor Claudius, I believe, said, all Jews got to get out of Rome. We've had enough of you. Go anywhere else in the empire. you can't be in Rome, we're not tolerating it, right? An entire ethnic group commanded a lead. Now, this is the third time that this has happened to the Jews, where they've been expelled out of Rome. One was in 130-something B.C., another time uh, in 19 A.D., where Jesus was a teenager, and now this is probably somewhere around 50 A.D. So for the third time, and probably because of evangelism, the Jews are expelled from Rome. And we see this in Acts 18, that this is a part of their everyday life, where you see in 18.2, Uh, Paul, remember Paul meets Ananias and Sapphira? He meets them in Corinth, and the reason he meets them in Corinth, it tells us in this verse, is because they got kicked out of Rome, and they had to go live somewhere else, so they went to Corinth. So this uh, racial division towards the Jews is significant and prevalent, and again, we're going to see it goes both ways. So let's begin to look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. And uh, at this point, um, we have the circumcised, the nation of Israel, the Jews, and the uncircumcised, every other nation that's not Jewish, or the Gentiles. The word Gentile just means nations, all right? So, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Let's look at this, and then we'll break it down. And this is pretty straightforward. Paul's saying, therefore, now keep in mind he's writing to Ephesus, uh, a, a Greek city up in Asia Minor. Uh, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now, I don't think the nations generally refer to themselves as the uncircumcised. This was mostly Israel's name for them, and I'm not sure it was a polite name. You understand. Uh, If you, for example, uh, were to go today to Israel and just pick out a Jew and call him uncircumcised, he might not be happy with you. It's an insult. Okay. So, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, meaning you weren't Jewish. And strangers from the covenant of promise, you have no covenant, having no hope and without God in the world. Those are heavy statements. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's make sure we understand what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, hey, you Gentiles, you Ephesians, remember that you were not Israel You are not a part of the chosen people. Remember, God chose a nation, and your nation wasn't it. And not only were you not Israel, you had no covenant. You know how we have this covenant with God that he gave Abraham and passed down to Isaac and Jacob? You didn't have any covenant with God. God could do it. He could wipe you out anytime he wants. And you have no Messiah. We have a promise of a Messiah coming. You guys didn't have that. And you have no promises whatsoever. We have a promise of this land. You guys got nothing. It says you're literally hopelessly without God in the earth. That's where you were, but through the cross, even though you were way far off, you've been brought near. So the Ephesians understand where they were and where they are now, right? So let's keep going. Verses 14 through 18 we get to how that happens in God's mysterious solution for everything. He'll call it a mystery in chapter 3, but uh, I'm going back here because I like this term. Uh, in 14, it says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who who is made both one. And what's he referring to by both there? Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile the uncircumcised and circumcised. He was made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We were just singing about that. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the anger and the hatred, the, the conflict. The enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. There's that term, one new man. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. How many bodies? Keep that in mind. It's going to be important. Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off. Who's that? Gentiles. Gentiles. And to those who were near. Who's that? The Jews. Because they had a covenant. They had a promise. They were close. They weren't there. But they they at least were pointed in the right direction, okay? For though, um, sorry, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, equal access. So let's break this down. Make sure we understand this: the Jew and the Gentile, he is making through the cross into one new man in him. Underline in him. It only happens in him. As we turn to him. He makes us one new man, and he says he has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, Paul uses this term because there was a literal wall of separation. Uh, This is going to come into play a little bit later when we look at something in Acts, but if you went to the temple at the time when Paul is writing this letter, you would find the temple, you'd find the court, uh, the outer court, and then there'd be a wall about waist high, and it was a brick wall. Uh, or a stone wall. It was significant, even though it wasn't real tall. You could easily go over it, uh, but it was a wall, uh, and, and on it was a sign, a warning to the Gentiles. Uh, this marks off the end of the court of the Gentiles. You can be here. Don't go over that wall. That wall separated Jew from Gentile. In fact, if around 60-ish A.D., you, a Gentile, went to the temple And you could easily jump over that wall, uh, but if anyone saw you do it, they would drag you to the other side of the wall and kill you. No trial, just dead. You don't go there. You understand what's going on. And no Jew would be upset that they did it. They'd help. They'd all pick up rocks, right? So he's literally referring to a wall of separation between these two ethnic groups, Jew and Gentile. And you didn't cross that wall. And it, now he didn't obviously literally tear it down. Uh, it was there until 70 AD when the whole temple got torn down. Uh, he's talking about how he spiritually has abolished that wall by reconciling Jew and Gentile to God in one body, one new man in him. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see it says that there's enmity because of the law. Now, wasn't the law good? Isn't the law the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ? is not it tell us uh, the kind of behaviors God desires? Well, sure. Uh, in Galatians, Paul tells us that the law is good, but uh, because the Jews had the law and the Gentiles did not, it became a point of enmity. Uh, I'm just guessing here, based on my knowledge of humans, um, that maybe there was a little bit of religious superiority going on. Uh, We have a law and a relationship with God, and you don't. You guys are uncircumcised. Now, again, that was the Jews. Of course, Christians would never act like they had something that someone else didn't and act superior about it, right? He said very facetiously. Um, So we get this thing of religious superiority. I think there's also, on the Gentiles' part, some jealousy going on. Hey, why can't I be the people of God? What made you guys the people of God? Well, God liked Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham, and made him into a nation. There you go. That's what made him the people of God. God gets to pick whoever he wants. Good news is we get to We'll learn later. Well, we're learning right now. We get to be part of that. We get to be the one new man in him. So all of that enmity... Is abolished through the cross because the law is abolished through the cross. We no longer need the law. We're justified by faith. We know that now, right? So uh, that's where we get to the end of this. Jesus is our peace. Through him, those who were afar off and those who were near have access by the Spirit to the Father. So the Jews being near meant they had covenant and promises, but they still. Are saved by their Messiah Jesus in the same way we are, whether far or near. We have access through the cross through Jesus, right? So that's the good news. That is, in fact, good news. So uh, because of that, uh, he he gives them, He talks about this good news in the remaining verses, in uh, verses nineteen through twenty-two, chapter two. He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're not afar off anymore, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're citizens in the kingdom and you're a member of God's house. You're in God's family. This is awesome. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, one, uh, we see that we are citizens and we are members of his family. Two, remember, we used this passage uh, last time we were talking about the one bride. In Revelation 21, twice, uh, we see the bride of Christ mentioned um, John is shown, he says, the angel says, hey, you want to see the bride? And John says, sure, let's look at her. And what does he see? He sees a city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. The, wait a minute, the bride is a building? Well, yes. And then we went back to this passage in Ephesians 2. You are being fitted together into a temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is a picture of the one bride right here. a a temple being fit together, humans being fit together, being united, one new man, one bride, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, Jew and Gentile. Awesome? So, pardon me. So, we need to see that uh, this one bride unity is achieved by entering into this one new man reality, okay? Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Now, Let's have a little fun here. You're going to really see where the racism thing comes in, uh, coming up. Going on to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at the first seven verses. Paul says, "Uh, I, for this reason, I, Paul, uh, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. uh, It's your fault I'm here, guys. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here it comes. This is the mystery that we're talking about today. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of, of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace, uh, the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So, what's he saying here? He's one, he's saying, I'm in prison for you. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And two, the mystery that I'm talking about is you Gentiles are fellow heirs of the promise of Christ. You also. Can be, uh, can have all the promises of Abraham. Everything they had in the covenant, you can have. Everything uh, they have in the Messiah, you can have. You have, as Romans describes it, and we'll be looking at this next week as we get into the next promise uh, or the next mystery. Uh, Romans 11 describes it as being grafted in. We've been grafted into Israel. Let's be clear. God didn't start over with a new thing called the church, which Israel can join if they want to. The church is the new covenant referred to by the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It's Israel's new covenant that we got grafted into. We can also participate. We can skip the whole law part and go right to the salvation by faith part. Good? So, this is what's going on. Now, Let's pause here because I want you to see this. Uh, I'm going to open my other Bible. Um, in Where it talks about, Paul says, I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. I really want you to understand this because it's a a beautiful picture of the tension that's going on. We will not appreciate the amazing thing God has done making us one new man uh, without seeing the incredible... Uh, racial division that is going on. So here we go. So Paul, you remember Paul at, at one point in Acts goes to Jerusalem and gets arrested and ultimately sent to Rome where he's beheaded, right? Well, let's look at his arrest. He's he, he's even prophesied he's going to be arrested. And he goes, I'm going anyway. And so we begin to see this. Uh, so at one point, uh, the Jews around the temple freak out and grandpa and try to kill him. And he actually ends up being rescued by Roman soldiers who bind him. They think he's causing trouble, uh, but he's that's the only thing that kept them from killing him right then. Here's kind of why they were doing that. Verse 28 and 29, Acts 21, 28 and 29, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, that's Israel, the law And this place, that's the temple. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. He got a Greek over that wall. That's what they think. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Now, Paul hadn't done that. But they think Paul got a Greek over that wall. He's got to die for this. I mean, he's got to die now going to have time for a trial. If the Romans would just let go of him, we could kill him and be done with this and back to lunch, right? You get in the feel for the animosity here, this wall of enmity? Uh, let's jump down to verse 40, and an interesting thing happens, because remember, they are freaked out. They are ready to kill him, right? So, so when Paul... Uh, so he asks, you know, the, the Romans have rescued him from the crowd, and Paul says, "Hey, can I speak to him?" Uh, and so it says when Paul, when he had, when they had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Now, he's speaking to them in Hebrew, and they're listening. And he goes on. If you go into Acts 22, he goes on speaking for about 20 verses, and what he does is he tells them his, basically, his salvation story. Hey, I I was persecuting this church, the way, and I was on my way to Damascus, and and I got knocked down, and a voice from heaven, and I was blind, and then some people came, and they prayed for me, and God opened my eyes, and they're listening, and he's got them. And right here, he could have probably just done an altar call, taken up an offering, and been all done. He'd have been okay. Might have even, the Romans might have let him go. He might have been able to go back home, but he doesn't. Watch what he does. We're going to jump down to verses 21 uh, and 20, yeah, verses 21 and 22 in uh, chapter 22. Uh, and so he's going on, he's telling his testimony. He's gotten to the part where God saved him. He says, and then he said to me, depart from... For I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 22, very next verse. And they listened to him up until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Does that seem extreme? You get what's going on. The extent of how profound this is, is how profound this revelation of the one new man is. What a big deal it is. And we're not going to go this far, but in Ephesians 3, if you jump down to verse 13, uh, Paul says, therefore I ask, he's talking to the Gentiles, that you don't lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. Paul says, I didn't have to suffer tribulation for you guys. I could have have left you out of my sermon, but I did because it's important that they get this one new man thing because there's glory in it. I want to make sure that the Gentiles know that they can have the glory that God is promising to Jew and Gentile, right? So, that's what's going on, and then uh, we learned that we're fellow heirs of the promise. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute, too. Because it's so easy for us to miss stuff. Because from our perspective, uh, can any nation be, uh, any person from any nation, any ethnicity be a Christian? We go, well, sure, just faith in Jesus. We get that. They did not get that. I'm telling you, they did not get that. This was revelational knowledge. Even though you could have gotten that from the Old Testament, they had somehow missed that. This was revelation to the apostles who were already saved, they did not know at this time, after Jesus had risen again, gone into heaven, they still didn't get that Gentiles could be saved. I will prove it to you. Let's look at these verses. Now, you know, in Acts chapter 10, uh, and by the way, in Acts chapter 2, you guys remember Peter preaches a sermon? Uh, how many people get saved? 3,000. How many of them were Jews? every single one, because they were in town for the feast. The initial church was exclusively Jewish. The first church was exclusively Jewish. And that's all the only people they'd preach to. Now, jumping ahead to Acts chapter 10, Peter's hungry, and so he lays down, he's taking a nap before lunch, which is very biblical. I don't know if I should talk about that during our fast, but... Just take the nap uh, and then get up and pray. Um, Anyway, he's taking a nap before lunch and he has a dream and all these unclean foods and and God says, eat, and Peter goes, no, 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 I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean? And then uh, God, because it's a metaphor with God, uh, sends him to Cornelius, a bunch of Gentiles. Um, Cornelius has also had a dream and said, guys, hey, they said, come get Peter, he'll come talk to us. Spirit goes, sure. Seems like God told me to do this. I'll go talk to you guys. And he's talking to them, and he's just telling them about God. And I don't, you know, I don't know what he's thinking. He's just going, well, God said, go talk to him. I'll go talk to him. In the middle of his talk, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues, which freaks them out. In Acts 10, verses verse 45, it says that Peter and all the Jews that went with him were astonished. They're talking bunch of Gentiles get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go, what the heck is going on here? They they can't have this. They're Gentiles, right? Now, go to chapter 11. Peter, from there, goes back to Jerusalem. In verse 3, it says that a bunch of Jews who are believers, who are part of the church now, met him and said, hey, We heard that you went and had lunch with Gentiles. What is the matter with you, dude? Incidentally, there's nothing in the Old Testament that forbids Jews from having lunch with Gentiles. They've just taken it a little further. Again, we wouldn't do that, right? We wouldn't take a biblical concept too far, would we? (laughs) So, Peter, (laughs) Peter then goes... Hey, guys. Yeah, I, w- I did. I had lunch, but let me tell you what happened. He tells them the whole thing about the dream. Here's why I did it. God made me. God made me do it. He gave me a dream. Uh, and uh, here's what happened. I'm just talking my own business, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the statement. You can go read this. It's in Acts 11, verse 18. It says, uh, they were silent, and they look at each other, and they basically go, huh, so the Gentiles can be saved. Who knew? Who knew? They didn't know. In fact, if you jump ahead to Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, where they get together to decide because there are people, uh, Paul and, and Barnabas are getting a lot of people saved in Asia Minor, and they're trying to, and then other Jews came in and said, well, you got to be circumcised, you got to keep the law. And, uh, They're going, Paul's going, no, they don't. So the whole issue goes back to Jerusalem, and the apostles meet in in Acts 15. And you'll find that most of it is Peter telling this story, and then Paul and Barnabas telling their stories, and the Jerusalem council finally concluded, I guess they don't have to become a Jew and be circumcised and keep the law to be saved. I guess they can skip that and just be saved by faith. Who knew? So, this is radical. They did not know this or get this, but now they get it, right? Now, the last thing I want you to see about this radical one new man thing is that it is perhaps more significant than any of us have realized. In verse 10, um, Paul is talking about this mystery that has been hidden by God through the ages, but has now been revealed, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. In other words, when the church begins to walk in, manifest, display this one new man concept, this radical unity, it will be The wisdom of God being demonstrated in the earth to principalities and powers. Our getting this, our walking in one bride, one new man in unity, is the church displaying the wisdom of God in the earth. It's not just, oh, isn't that nice? They get along. It's the church displaying, here's the only thing in the world that will work. Now. Now. Speaking of the only thing in the world that will work, in Matthew 24, the entire chapter is Jesus. They've asked what are going to be the signs of the end times, and so we read this chapter a lot when we want to talk about the end times and scare our children. Um, So uh, one of the things it says in verse 7 is that nation will rise against nation. The word there for nation you probably know is ethnos. Ethnic group will rise against ethnic group. Now, Jesus said this will happen in the last days. Do you think it will happen? Yes. Yes. Jesus has never been wrong. I don't anticipate him missing this one. So, simple question, will racism increase as we get closer to the end times? Will anything in the world work to stop it? You understand what you're saying? What about all these commercials and all the good woke initiatives and all the just this and that? Is that going to work? No. No. Guys, the Bible's true. It's not going to work. Nothing the world tries will work. The world will talk about it more than anyone else. The world will use it as a tool to actually cause conflict or get their way, but it won't work. It will not work. Racism will increase, and no worldly solution will work. There is one solution that will work, and it will only work in the church. And the only one solution that will work is an entirely new identity. You have to get this. One new man. Not, Not one changed man, not one slightly improved man. One new man a brand new identity, as Rachel was talking about earlier, as a child of God in the body of Christ for Jew and Gentile, for every ethnos. So we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy ethnos. So if anybody, you know, you can have fun on... Uh, job applications, where they say ethnicity, just put holy. <laughs> That's my ethnicity, holy ethnos, by the blood of Jesus in him. Amen. Holy, where am I at? I lost my place. Anyway, okay, holy ethnos, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guys, it's a new ethnicity. It's a new identity. It's not just an improvement. This is why Paul can say in Galatians chapter 3 and in Colossians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. He covered race. He covered sex. He covered Uh, social status, all of it. He goes, none of those things, all of those identities are gone. We're all one in Christ Jesus. There are no other identities in Him. You understand? So here's why this is such a big deal, because the world is really into identities in anywhere but Him. Uh, I mean, just think, track one day, watch the news or watch TV, and See how many times you see the word identity or identify or something like that. It's a lot. You got people identifying as handicapped. Man, we aren't handicapped. It's just getting strange. And yeah, it's just weird. There you go. So, <laughs> here's how that plays out. Let's say I'm a Christian, but I still have a fair bit of my identity in my ethnos. Now. What if my ethnos starts to persecute your ethnos? Because remember, ethnos is going to rise against ethnos. What if my ethnos goes to war against your ethnos? I have a decision to make. Am I going to stand with you and defend you? Or am I going to say, hey, I like you. Don't take it personally. I'm not going to punch you or throw a rock at you. But I'm just going to stand back and not say anything because I don't want to offend my ethnos. Is that too heavy? You get it? We're all going to have to make a decision. The world will force us to make a decision on where our identities are going to lie. I'm telling you guys, it's not just better to have your identity in Christ. It's dangerous to have significant identity anywhere else. I'm not saying you don't ever mention another identity, but it's dangerous to have a significant identity anywhere else. It will lead you astray. I'm going to show you how that happens. By the way, this is just uh, a, a short rabbit tale for free. You don't have to pay extra for this. Um, the, this whole holy nation thing was God's plan in the first place. He wanted a nation that would demonstrate his glory. Uh, we see this. It was actually his plan for Israel until the unfortunate golden calf incident. Remember the golden calf incident where Moses went up to talk with God and came down to a basically a frat party. And uh, the golden calf and the Levites, he goes, uh, Moses goes, who's with me? And the Levites go, we're in. And they started killing people. And God said, well, they're zealous. I like them. I'm changing my plan. Here was the original plan, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. That's what he was offering Israel. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? That's what Peter was talking about. Now, they didn't get that. What happened was, after the uh, Golden Calf incident. God said, "You know what? I was going to have redeem all the firstborn, and they were going to be priests. But now I'm just going to take the Levites. Uh, they'll be my priests instead of all of Israel. You understand? Because they're the ones that responded with zeal. But God's plan is for a nation of priests, a nation of special people, a nation whose identity is totally in Him." He's not doing golden calves. Right? Okay, so, also ironically, in Matthew 24, verse 9, two two verses later, from when he says, Nation will rise against nation, he says, And all the nations, all the different ethnoses, will persecute you because of me, for the name of Jesus. So I want you to get this, just so you're not surprised when this happens. Remember in Ephesians 3.10, we said our displaying our identity and our unity in Christ is, uh, is a witness of the wisdom of God in the earth. Remember we said that? We read that in Ephesians 3. So as we do that in the last days, as the church is actually expressing this one new man, one body, one bride thing, uh, Jew, Gentile, every other ethnicity together in unity, loving one another As the church does that, it's going to lead to every other ethnos persecuting us. And not only persecuting us, here's the ironic thing. They're going to persecute us in the name of peace and unity. They're going to be going, peace, peace. One world. One world government. All, All we're saying is just give peace a chance. Imagine all the people living in the world as one. Right? The problem is these stupid Christians and Jews who won't compromise. If we can just get rid of them, we could have peace and unity. The irony is we will actually be demonstrating the only way to do it in the earth. They'll be failing miserably and mad at us because of it. Just so you know. Stick with the right plan. Now, here we go. All right. We're very excited about this. I like it. This last part is the meat. Are you ready? It is such a big deal that we get this because division is not just, you know, bad. It's crippling. In Colossians, I'm sorry, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Very simple stuff here. It says, here we don't need that. Okay. It says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but as to carnal. Now, how do you like a sermon that starts that way? (laughs) Just want you all to know, I got lots of stuff to say, but I'm going to speak to you like you're carnal, not like you're spiritual. Are you with me? (laughs) Here we go. Uh as to babes in Christ, babes are immature. I'm going to speak to you like you're immature. That's what Paul's saying. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and, it, and even now you are still not able. He was look, I got meat for you. I want to give you meat, but you can't handle meat because you're babes. Ouch. Well, why is that, Paul? For you were still carnal. For when there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Paul, are you suggesting that wherever there is division among believers, there's immaturity? Is that what he's saying? He's not saying it could be immaturity. He's saying everywhere we see division among believers in Jesus it's immaturity. It's they're babes. They can't handle the meat. Now, I'm not talking about just disagreement. We're going to disagree. We're going to argue over what Scripture means. That's healthy. That's iron sharpening iron. I'm talking about division. where We start building walls, and there's people we don't eat with, and there's people we don't talk to. There's people maybe we don't even, we're not even sure if they're part of the body, or we are sure they're not part of the body even though they'll tell you they are, because they believe different than we do. Divisions. Um, Thank God he didn't use the term denominations here. I don't know what that would do in the church. (laughs) They didn't have those yet. But here's the thing. This is just truth, guys. Divisions among believers, whether it's in a family or whether it's in the country, Divisions among believers, somebody's being immature, guaranteed. It's a rule, no exceptions. If there's division, there's immaturity. We're not recognizing the one bride, the one body, the one new man. And what he goes on to say is because of this immaturity, we're unable to receive deeper revelation. You can't eat meat. If there's division, if you're engaged in division, it's not just... Well, you could be getting along better, and God's not happy about it. It's, hey, there's truth you can't even grasp because you can't get past your division. There's meat you can't eat. There's stuff Paul says that you can't get. Now, keep this in mind. I just read to you out of 1 Corinthians 3, the first three verses. Remember, back when we started this, when we were talking about the mysteries of God, all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was basically talking about the mystery of God revealed. So let's go back and look at a little bit of that. This is just a few verses before this, so it's all in the same context. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. So he's saying in chapter 2, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. And he goes in chapter 3, but you're not them. Right, so I don't know if he's trying to provoke him or what. Uh, he says, "But we speak wisdom among those from our church, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained before the ages for our glory." So he's saying, "Guys, we have wisdom for your glory." But you can't receive some of it because of your division, because of your envy, because of your competition, because of all those things, right? Here's what I want you to get. Earthly identities will divide us. Getting our identity anywhere other than being the one new man in Christ, getting our identity anywhere other than Christ, it will cause division. Again, I don't care, you know. I have a good time with having arguments with the Florida people versus Ohio State. That's fun, but I'm not, I'm not getting my eternal identity in Ohio State. I'm not going to die on that one. You understand. I'm not talking about just differences. I'm talking about we get our identity and stuff where it divides us. If we get our earthly identity, it will divide us, and not only will it divide us, it will keep us from comprehending His wisdom. And then here's the good part. It says, this hidden wisdom of God has been ordained for our glory. If we're divided so that we can't understand His wisdom, maybe that's why we aren't experiencing His glory. That's good. Come on. Come on. You understand? Yep. Maybe us fully experiencing the glory of God depends on us being able to grasp His wisdom some of that is tied to us being one new man. I'm telling you guys, it's a bigger deal than we realize. It is a big deal. In fact, this one body thing is such a big deal. I'm going to finish with this. Uh, this isn't in your notes, so you can jot this down if you want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you guys have heard uh, almost every time someone does communion, they'll read out 1 Corinthians 11. And there's it's an interesting passage. Uh, he talks about communion, and he also talks about how they're eating judgment on themselves by not doing it right, right? right? Yeah. Same same church, Corinth. Now, uh, so interesting, same church we're talking about, this, this church that wasn't mature enough for me. And what a lot of people doing communion will tell you is that whole eating judgment on yourself, that means if you're not a believer, you shouldn't take communion. And at the risk of being offensive, that is simplistic and not true. Uh, I don't think if you're not a believer and you take communion, I I don't think anything happens. I think God just goes, I sure wish you'd believe me and not just go through the motions. But that's not what he's talking about in that chapter. It is absolutely not what he's talking about in that chapter. If you go back and read it, he starts out in verse 17, he starts out talking about communion. In verse 18, he goes, hey, I hear there's divisions among you. You're doing communion with divisions, and then he starts to highlight them. You're you're eating without others there. One's you know you're not worried about whether everybody has stuff. You're not. And he goes on. You go down to verse twenty nine where he talks about eating judgment on themselves, and he says some of you. He goes, "This is a big deal, guys." He goes, "Some of you are sick and have even died because you don't get this." And he goes, "You're eating judgment on yourselves. Why? Because you're not." discerning the body. He doesn't mean that little piece of bread. He's talking about divisions. He goes, you're not discerning the body. You're remembering that Jesus gave his life so that we can be one new man while you're dividing yourself and judging other parts of the body. He goes, guys, you can't eat communion and celebrate the new life that is in Christ while you're judging your brothers and sisters or diminishing them or overlooking them or having, you know, bad thoughts about them, he goes, that's the judgment. That's where it's coming from. It's very clear in that chapter, what he's talking about. Paul's going, this is a big deal, guys. We have to recognize that we're one new man. If someone believes in Jesus, anybody got it? No, I don't want to. Don't raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question. Anybody got a family member that's maybe embarrassing, maybe annoying, but they're still family? And you don't kick them out of the family. Guys, the church is the same way. We can't. We have to see that we were brought into. Now we are uh, citizens of his kingdom. Now we are members of his household. I don't get to... Look at another person who confesses that they love Jesus and that they believe Jesus died for their sins and say, you're not in my household because you don't believe the way I do and you do stupid stuff. I'm not allowed to do that. That's not my call. That's his call. He's dad. You understand what I'm saying? This one new man thing is a big deal. And what's amazing is (laughs) they... In the midst of their culture and the incredible racial divide between Jew and Gentile, Paul's going, isn't it amazing? God's going to make us one. He can do it. So the Jews that went from not even believing that Gentiles could be saved in just a few years went from, let's not even make them do the law. They can be saved by faith. We get it. One new man. You get it? Can you imagine what the church in the earth will be like if they get this? (laughs) Wow. We could cause some trouble. (sighs) Let's pray. Mm. Lord, we are after your heart. Lord, I can teach the Word Uh, We can get this as a doctrinal issue and check it off and give the right answers. But, Lord, at the end of the day, uh, we have to live this. We have to be one with all of your church. Lord, give us your heart. Lord, in this season when we're praying for Israel, uh, Lord, we know that your word says they'll be saved. They're not right now. Lord, give us your heart of longing, even for your church that isn't there yet. Lord, that we would long for this one new man experience with them. Lord, I pray you would make us a model uh, in the earth, and us as Church on the Rock, a model in Brevard County. The church in Brevard County, a model. Of racial reconciliation in Christ. Of uh, men and women operating properly together in Christ. Of this one new man love. Lord, that we would rightly discern your body. That we would see ourselves as members of one another. And no right to decide which ones get to come in the wall and which ones don't.